are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. One, one other thing I would like to do, Jim and Peggy Poteet, are you in the room this morning? Can somebody help me? I can't see well. Would you stand? Right here we are. Jim and Peggy, I just wanted to mention to you, have been such a blessing to Bethany First Church for the last uh, maybe 80 years or so. Um, they have volunteered in every role that you can imagine, Sunday school teachers, singers, well, I don't know about singers, served on the board. You may not know this, but Jim Poteet started our after-school program. What I have to say next, hang on, hang on, what I have to say next I don't like, they are moving away. And this is their last Sunday with us, but I knew you'd want to do that. So let's thank Jim and Peggy for all their years here at Bethany First Church. So we have a, uh, a family who attends here. Their names are Adam and Amanda Toller, and they have children. And one of their little boys' name is Bennett. And Bennett just turned two years old. And Bennett is learning to pray, okay? And so here's how Bennett prays. He folds his hand, he closes his eyes really tight, and he says, Amen. <laughs> you get right to the food that way. And so Bennett was with his extended family the other night celebrating a birthday dinner for his uncle Seth, and he was sitting between his parents, Stan and Linda Toller, and he calls Linda Nana, and somebody decided that Nana should pray the prayer for the meal, and so Nana bows her head, and she prays, and she prays, and she prays, and finally Bennett just reaches up and puts his hand over her mouth and says, Amen, 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 Amen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this the social unit that we call the family is one of the most life-giving experiences we can have it's also complicated it's also messy it also causes us lots of worry and lots of stress i got a picture that i love that i want to show you this morning pastor thaddeus was at our two legs congregation a little boy knelt at the altar And so Thaddeus goes over, and he kneels down beside a little boy that they call Bubba. And he said, Bubba, what's going on, man? How should we pray today? And Bubba said, Pastor Thaddeus, I want you to pray for my family. I wonder if there's other people here saying, Hey, Pastor, today, I think it would be good if we prayed for my family. That little worship folder that you receive when you walk in the door, if you open it up and you find this place where you can write down some notes, if you're inclined to do that, this is the thing that you might want to write down first, okay? Because this is the bottom line today. God gives us a code, okay? God gives us a code for family life so that so that you and I, can have the relationships within our family that He intended for us to have. So this is the bottom line, all right? Get this with me, okay? God loves and appreciates and respects families so much that God gives us a code for family life, a code to live by within our family life so that, so that we can have 
the kinds of relationships that he has intended for us to have. So we have been working through this third chapter of Colossians for several weeks now, and we are at verse 18. So would you grab a Bible and open it to Colossians chapter 3, and let me start with verse 18. Words will be here for you as well. Four statements that Paul gives us. Now, this is all in light of everything else that has been said. Since you really have been raised to this new life, since your life really is hidden now with Christ in God, since you have put off the earthly nature with its old practices, and he names them, sexual, immorality, lust, evil desire, greed, anger, malice, slander, rage, lying from your lips, filthy language from your lips. Since you've taken all of that off, remember I took off an old black coat the other day? That's my old self. I've taken it off. And now you've put on this new self, and I put on that white robe, Kindness, compassion, gentleness, humility, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving, loving. Here's what Paul answers today, a question. So what would that look like if you lived that kind of life at home? Wait a minute. Living that kind of life at home. When I think about that kind of life, I'm focused on living that kind of life at work and maybe at school and maybe, you know, out in the community. Paul says, no, just dream with me for a minute. What would it look like if you live that life out at home? So today we're talking about home life. You ready? Four statements. Here we go. Verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Can I get a big witness in the house this morning? I didn't think so. There's not one brave little man in the whole room that's willing to shout out an amen. Submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Next statement. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Oh, now we see how this works. Yeah. Let me give you one more. Children, obey your parents in everything because this pleases the Lord. Not a lot of energy in the room. Do you know what it's like to preach to a crowd with this little energy coming back? Here's the last one. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. You're saying, seriously, that's it? Yeah, that's it. When he writes his letter to the Ephesians, Paul also mentions these issues, but he expounds on them. And and I don't know what's going on. I wonder if he was sleeping. He's coming to the end of his letter and he wants to go to bed and he says, yeah, I'm not going to expound. I'm just going to give them the facts. I'm just giving them the code, okay, that God gives so that families can live by in order to have the relationships that God intended. But this is all he gives us. These four statements. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. What if I told you that there is a city in these United States of America where there are no laws? No, that's not true. Actually, there is one law. And the one law is there are no laws. Do you want to live in that city? Well, maybe... 
What, what are you saying, Rick? You're saying that there is a city in these United States of America that I can go and live, and there are no laws. No laws. You can do whatever you want, whenever you want. Well, what are the policemen going to say? There aren't any policemen because the policemen are there to enforce the laws of the land, and there are no laws in this land. It's ultimate freedom. Or is it? Do you want to live in that city? And all of a sudden, the cogs begin to turn, and you begin to say, I don't think that's freedom. The reason I told you a true story at the beginning of the sermon, and the true story is that God gives us a code for family life so we can have the relationships He intended us to have. The reason I told you the true story is because there is another story being told. And the other story that is being told is a story that simply says this. We don't want codes anymore because codes embark on our freedom. We left that way of life a long time ago. And we now live in a society that says, for you to begin to tell me that there is some kind of a code for me to live by is unthinkable. In fact, it is offensive. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. There's a third story. And that's my story. What I thought would make me free actually made me a slave. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says it so well when he says that codes to live by do not make us less free. They, in reality, make us more free. So I think about this little friend of mine, a little young woman named Stacy, who said to me, Pastor Rick, I've done the most disgusting things in my life that any person could ever do. I have lowered myself to levels that would shock you. I have done filthy things with my body. And the reason I did was because I was addicted to heroin. And heroin became a master in my life. And heroin said, you will do anything you have to do to have me. And I did whatever I had to do. And you know what's interesting about that whole story? Is that as a young girl, Stacy said, I'm going to do what I want to do. And it was all in the name of freedom that she first used heroin. Don't you think it is kind of this complexing notion that codes actually make you more free? And so Paul says, God has given you a code as a family so that you can have the relationships that He intended for you to have. So let's talk about the code. I'm going to travel to Swaziland in July, and it's a little country in the southern part of Africa. And in Swaziland, they have different, uh, you know, customs than we have. There are, there are different uh, kind of uh, social norms than we have. 
So here, here's an example. In, in the airport in Swaziland, you would never see a Swazi man carrying suitcases, okay? He is walking along just freely to speak and to talk and to look into the windows of the little shops and all those things. And behind him is his wife dragging the luggage. And even if you were in Swaziland and it happened to a friend of mine, he was carrying the luggage for his wife, a guy from the United States, and a Swazi woman came up to his wife and said, what kind of a wife are you? You should carry those cases for your husband. I love Swaziland. So I think the, 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 the question comes out of the Scripture for us. When we think about a culture with these different social norms, we think, well, how different was Paul's world than our world, right? The guy who writes these words that I read to you a moment ago. And so what was Paul's life like? I mean, you think about it. This was 2,000 years ago, 7,000 miles from here, in a world that looked very different than our world. I mean, think about marriage in Paul's world compared to marriage in our world. Think about how we live comfortably with dual career marriages. How that gender is not an issue when it comes to education. How children are viewed in our world compared to his. And we ask the question, does Paul really have something to say to us in regard to family matters? There's a vein that runs through these verses because it pleases the Lord. And it brings us back to this Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. That everything we do is subject to the fact that Jesus has an opinion and that we seek to follow Him. And it makes the words timeless regardless of social norms. So let's talk about them, okay? The big one, the hot one. Submit. You ready? We had a guy that attended a church that we pastored back 20 years ago or more. And his wife had passed away before we moved to the church, and he had these two little kids he was trying to raise. And all of a sudden, one Sunday, I looked back, and there he was sitting in church by this this young woman, and they were smiling so big they could just not wipe the grin off their face. They were sitting close. They were holding hands. He would put his arm around her. I mean, they were just, I mean, they're smiling all the way through the sermon. I'm not even being funny. You know what I'm saying? They're just so in love. They just can't, they're so happy they can't hide it, you know. And before you know it, we heard they were getting married. And right after they got married, I heard things were really rocky. And so he calls me one night. Pastor, I hate to ask you to do this, but could you come over to the house? Things are bad. I'm afraid she's going to leave. I said, I'll come over. And so I went over and I sat down in their living room with them and I said, what's up? Things were tense. And he said to me, she won't submit. <laughs> I was pretty sure I understood him, but I said, just to be sure, do what? <laughs> he said, she won't submit. I looked at her. She didn't look submissive. I'll be honest with you. She looked mad. I said, can you give me an example? 
And he said, yeah, I came home from work last night. I was hungry. I was tired. She hadn't started dinner. And I said, woman, get in that kitchen and get me some dinner. And you know what she said to me? And I said, no, what? And he said, well, she said, I'm not going to fix you any dinner as long as you're talking to me that way and treating me that way. So he said, I went and got a Bible. This little non-energetic crowd just suddenly became alive. This is good. And I read through the words, submit to your husbands. And she still wouldn't submit. I said, oh, we got to talk. So what, what is that all about anyway? You know, when Paul writes these words, he uses this word. It's uh, in the Greek, hupotasso. It's kind of this uh, word that was used in the military to define rank. And so there had to be some kind of order in the military because we have a mission we want to accomplish and we can't have chaos. There's got to be some kind of order in regard to rank. And so it's all about rank. You feeling better? Starting to smell rank to you? (laughs) One of the struggles we have is we try to balance it with Paul's writings because Paul is one of these guys who talks a lot about equality in Christ, right? I mean, he talks about this. In Christ, there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave or free, but Christ is one and in all. Everybody is one in Jesus. There's equality in this Christian faith. The ground is really level at the foot of the cross. God sees us all equally. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, where Paul talks about this, he begins the conversation by saying, you should submit to one another. But he goes on to say, And wives, you should submit to your husbands because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And so in the mind of Paul, there is some sense of order. Now the saving grace comes in as it is fitting to the Lord. And so is it fitting to the Lord for a woman to allow her husband to abuse her? Is it fitting to the Lord for a woman to be treated like a doormat? No. None of that would be fitting to the Lord. The other side of that conversation comes when Paul addresses the husband. Now, you should love your wives and do not be harsh with her. This is the most radical statement he could have made in his day. And here's why. Paul was a Jew. And in Jewish world, in Paul's day, a woman was much like a piece of property, like a house or an animal or something like that. She had no legal rights, and a husband could divorce his wife for any reason that he chose. There's actually documents living today that were written in that would say a husband could divorce his wife because he didn't like the way she cooked dinner. You just write her a certificate of divorce, and, and she's gone. He leaves the comfortable confines of Judaism to go to the Greek world to be a missionary. And in the Greek world, it's even worse. A wife lived in seclusion. She was never out on the street alone. She didn't even live in the same unit as her husband. She lived in like an apartment for women. 
She was expected to serve him and be faithful to him while he could have as many relationships outside of marriage as he wanted. A wife was not for relationships. She had one responsibility, and that was to produce heirs. And Jesus changes everything. And Paul says, husbands, that's not the way we live. Not in Christ. You love your wife. But then he qualifies it when he gets to the Ephesian letter and he says, you love your wife like Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her. I mean, I'm talking about this sacrificial kind of love that says, you're going to be more important than me in this relationship. And then he says, love your wife like you love yourself. When I read these words, I'm just thinking, like I love myself? Really? Because I am crazy about me. I went to a donut store the other day and I saw this chocolate donut, chocolate glazed donut with nuts on top. You know who I thought of when I saw that donut? Me. And so I bought it for me because I'm always doing nice things for me. I'm always watching out for me. I love me. I'm crazy about me. I take incredible care of me. And you know what the Bible says here? That you should take care of Annette, Rick, like you take care of you. That kind of changes the thing. It's interesting to me that in all our years of marriage, 30 years now, and that and I've been married, and we've never had to have this conversation. It's never come up. And we don't have a perfect marriage, do we? Because one of us isn't perfect. <laughs> we do a whole lot of apologizing. A whole lot of apologizing. I mean, it's, it's all the time that we apologize because we need to all the time. But none of this has ever even been a conversation in 30 years. We try to love each other and respect each other. There's another side to the story, okay? And he moves into this parenting area. So... <clears throat> Maybe Bob, jump up here real quick, and uh, somebody else just that can come up fast. Anybody that can? Harlan, do you mind? I'm going to borrow an illustration from my buddy Marcus. Marcus is our lead children's pastor here, and Marcus often does this for us, and he'll hold this rope. Come on over, Bob. I'm dragging you, man. So if you just hold it out, guess how long the rope is in inches? Anybody want to take a stab at that? No, I didn't think so. 160 in, 168 inches. You know what 168 represents? It's the number of hours that a child has in their week. And it doesn't become more when you become adult, by the way. But it's the number of hours in a week. And so Marcus reminds people that 15 years ago, 15 years ago, do you know how many hours a child was in church? Four. The average child attending church would attend twice a week and they would be here about two hours each time. And so we had about four hours a week to instruct a child. Seven years ago, there was a seismic shift in American society and we realized that we're getting kids one hour a week. The average kid was coming to church one hour a week. The scariest part about it is that we have families who are attending church about every other week. And we're getting 
kids about a half hour on average. The piece of tape in the middle of the rope represents that one hour a week that we get your kids here at church. And you know and I know that that's not enough. And it tells us also that it was never our responsibility to take full responsibility for the discipleship of a child. It's really the responsibility of the parents. We're here to encourage, to help, to enable, rather to engage you in your discipleship of your own child. There's one there that's just struggling right now. (laughs) There's also another thing that's happened in American culture, and that is that we kind of farm out to the to the people who really know what they're doing, to the... What, what's the word I'm looking for? To the professionals, to coach, train. And people begin to view that with the church, but the problem is when we're only getting them here this much. And so it has to happen in the home. But Marcus says homes have become rest stops. Rest stops on the way to the next activity. And no longer is home in American society the place to nurture and teach and instruct. Have I got you completely discouraged by this point? Thank you so much. So, here's what Paul does with this. That's okay. He says, fathers, parents, maybe is a better translation, don't exasperate, don't embitter your children. You understand that to criticize your child and to discipline and to correct constantly probably is worse than not correcting at all. Don't turn their hearts from you. Don't embitter your children with your discipline. You need a relationship with them because he goes on to say, you're the ones who are going to instruct them in Ephesians chapter 5. You've got to have that relationship where the kid looks to you and says, this person is nuts about me. And yeah, they do correct me along the way. But they're crazy about me. And when they're trying to teach me and instruct me, it's good stuff. I can accept that. And then, children obey your parents. But the parent creates that opportunity, that environment, what a child will follow. Now, I think a good question is, why, why is Paul taking us to the home with this conversation about this new life that you have in Christ, okay? And you no longer do all of this other stuff, but now this is the way you live. You might say, Rick, you, you're, you're getting older, your kids are grown. I, I know, I can't relate to some of you anymore. I, I wonder how we did it, honestly. I told somebody the other day, we used to buy Morgan and Brittany these little dolls, and, and they were dolls where the eyes were weighted. And if the doll was setting up, their eyes were open, but when you laid the doll back, the eyes closed. That's what happens to me when I sit down in the evening. My head goes back, my eyes just close. And I say to Annette, how did we do it all those years? Because family life is stressful, right? I mean, it's hard. You are running as hard as you can go, and you just up way too early and to bed way too late at night and you're just you're just trying to make all the sports and school and everything else that's happening and life is so full and life gets complicated for families and it gets messy and it gets ugly sometimes and it becomes extremely challenging 
And Paul is saying this new life to live. Look at me, will you? If you can live it at home, you can live it anywhere. I'm going to give you a quote. Read it this week. Made me sit at my desk and stare at the carpet for a long time. Here's what it says. One can do heroic battle in the public arena and lose the war in the privacy of their own home. One can do heroic battle in the public arena but lose the war in the privacy of their own home. If you can live this life at home, you can live it anywhere. Now, let me give you one last thing before we go. Abby, when I saw you walked in, I thought I need a teenager today to help me, so I'm going to ask you to run up here as fast as you can. Here's the hope in it, okay? When we, when we adopt the code that God gives us, then we can just trust Him with our family, all right? If we can just adopt the code that God gives us, then we can trust Him with our family. Come right over here. So, Abby... Uh, if you'll just stand right here, there's something I want you to carry for me, okay? Sometimes we deal with a lot in family life. And uh, maybe a little bit more, okay, that's good. And so can you carry this for me? So we deal with things like illness or we deal with things like death in family life. And uh, it's hard when you go through those kinds of things, you know. But it gets even more complicated because sometimes we deal with things like, and I just put emotional stress because I think it, it, it says a lot. It's just, you know, there's depression. There's the stress of living, the stress of schedule, the stress of life. Life just gets challenging. They get heavy when you carry them, don't they? I also put on here family conflict. There's not a person in the room who can't relate to that. We all know what family conflict is, right? Some of you right now are saying, Pastor, my family's in conflict right now. It's a struggle. Maybe we've lost someone. Maybe somebody is really sick and suffering. We all want them to get better. Maybe it's emotional stress that we're going through. And I think there's others. You doing okay? Can you carry these? Are you sure? Okay. So then financial stress can be another. It's pretty heavy, isn't it? Financial stress is another that can get pretty heavy on a family. So let me just tell you a story. I was about a year and a half ago driving in my car and I get a phone call. And it's a family member. And I, I don't probably have words to tell you how, how deeply I love this person. And the longer we talked, there was just this need to say, this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm carrying. And boy, I got so heavy. I hung up the phone and I wanted so bad to fix it all. You know, I just wanted to make it better. And, and it wasn't something I could fix. And it wasn't one thing. And I remember thinking, how, how did they get through this? You know, how do you... And, and over the next several days, I was so heavy. Are you... Is that feeling heavy? Yes. Are you really okay? But I was feeling so heavy with all of this. And I, and I remember a few days later, I'm at my house and I'm putting up Christmas lights. It's in November. And I'm going up that ladder and I'm trying to put up lights. And, and I just felt so heavy. I just came down off the ladder. I just couldn't do it anymore. And I sat down on the front step of my house 
And it felt like the Lord said to me, you can't carry this. It's too heavy. Isn't it heavy? You want to set it down? Just set it down, okay? Just put it all down right here. Because Jesus said, I don't want you to carry your burdens. You you can just cast your cares on me. Now, you can be there for your family. You can love them. You can walk with them. You can pray for them. You can encourage them. But you can't carry this stuff. Cast all your cares on me. And so, you want to just look me in the eye right now? Are you carrying something for a family member? And is Jesus saying to you this morning, that's not what I ask you to do. I ask you to be compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient. I'm back up in the rest of Colossians 3 now. Forbearing with one another, forgiving, loving. Carry out what I've called you to do as a family member. Just adopt the code and let me carry this stuff. Trust me with your family. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Abby. So you want to stand with me? And I thought the best thing we might do today is pray together before we walk out the door. And so if you're standing with family and you want to take the hands of the family members by you, you're free to do that. Or if you want to take the hand of a friend, if you're standing by a friend, or if there's a family, you just want to kind of huddle up. Those aisles are kind of wide between those seats. If you just want to put your arms around one another. I thought maybe this morning, this might be a time when some family members would say, you know what, let's just adopt the code that God gives us in His Word, and then let's just trust God with all this stuff. Let's quit carrying it. So pray with me, will you? Father, family's here this morning, and they're carrying some heavy loads. wasn't your plan you've called us to a way of life and then you said just cast your cares on me and so my prayer today is that some families together can say let's do it God's way and let's just put all this stuff down Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.